This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. Hey, friends. I'm super excited to have my partner, Mike, on the podcast with me. We're going to be doing a series of episodes together talking about our move from Tennessee to Colorado, getting land out here and restarting our farm and homestead, living off grid, and kind of all of the joys and also bumps along the road that go along with that. I'm super excited to have him on. So we met in 2021, which you guys probably remember the podcast didn't happen that year for me. I had a lot going on in my personal life. My mom was going through breast cancer treatment. So I was traveling every three weeks from Tennessee to Florida to be with her as she went through treatment. I also later in the year was going through a divorce and then also going through a little bit of a career change behind the scenes. So a lot happening. But one of the best things that happened was meeting Mike. So if you want to introduce yourself and say hi, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike. And thank you for having me on your podcast to do this. Um, You mentioned it a while back, and I've been really excited to, to be on the show and share some of our adventures. Yeah, I'm really excited for us to finally start doing these episodes. I think we talked about having you on the podcast even before we moved uh, in October. And then life has just been nonstop busy from the minute we got out here to Colorado. So hopefully we can catch up on everything that's been going on and kind of start with going back to like our very first date. We talked about our connection to the West. Um, You had lived in Colorado for a long time. I had lived in New Mexico briefly, but knew that I wanted to move back. So what what was bringing you back to Colorado? Well, let's be honest first. We're never going to get really caught up, are we? No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. No. But uh, yeah, I just, um, I miss the mountains. Uh, Tennessee has some beautiful aspects of it, but I'm not well suited for the humidity and the ticks and all those other bugs when you when you don't grow up in that area you don't you're not around them that often it's much harder to adjust to it everybody kept telling me that i was going to get used to it but years later i just could not do it and really i mean honestly my my heart's in the mountains i i want to be in the mountains i definitely felt the same way so i used to farm in florida In the middle of Florida, the very swampy part, Gainesville, everyone thinks of the beach. And then I moved to Tennessee and I lived there for about 13 years and farming there seemed a little bit better, but still the humidity and also the ticks were definitely not fun. And I'm also very like worried about Lyme disease being outdoors as much as we both are. So definitely was very excited to get back to out West. Um, I was thinking Colorado or Montana. Um, Mike was also open to that, but had ties, um, family wise to Colorado. So things kind of worked out, but in terms of when we started looking for land, what were the things you wanted to find in a piece of land? Well, a lot of it wanted to find enough area or acreage that we could not only have the garden space that you need for Fox and Elder, but also to grow our own produce to support ourselves and then have a few animals that we also raise to support us and then have a buffer around us. So we weren't, our neighbors weren't right there next to our livestock corrals or right there 
with our garden right up next to their fence. For sure. <laughs> that was a big consideration. And um, even prior to meeting you, thinking about wanting to move and, and knowing I wanted to leave Tennessee eventually, but wasn't sure exactly what state I would end up in. I was always looking at prices and breaking it down as, you know, the price per acre and how much land could I actually get for X amount of money, but still have it be the type of land I wanted. So for instance, we looked at some different states, you know, Wyoming, for instance, has tons of land that's probably a little cheaper per acre if we didn't want trees and just wanted like totally flat land, which for me wasn't going to work. Yeah. People think of Wyoming and Colorado as being the the Rockies and being in the mountains everywhere. But there's a, a large portion of Colorado that is flat, uh, for lack of a better word, barren uh, prairie land. And uh, Wyoming's even more that way. Yeah, you've got Jackson Hole and you've got the Grand Tetons, but that's a very small percentage of the entire state. And then again, those areas are extremely expensive. And same for Montana. So I've always loved Montana ever since I was a little kid. I remember flipping through. Uh, my parents had this big, uh, big paper map and I would flip through it. And I really loved wolves. And there's a tiny town in Montana called Wolf Point. And from the time I was really little, I was convinced that that's where I was going to move to and live. But thanks to modern times and shows like Yellowstone, uh, land, <laughs> land in Montana is not very affordable. It has gotten expensive. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> you know, through this process, when we started looking, even in the beginning, living here for 20 some years in Colorado, if you had told me that Colorado was still going to be the cheapest dollar for dollar, acre for acre of mountain land, I would have said, no way, it's not possible. It's going to be in the most expensive, but it really was per acre, the best bang for the buck, the best value in the mountains. And I wouldn't have believed you if you told me that, but we did our research and we really, <laughs> really shopped hard. We even looked all the way up as high as, as Alaska even. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, Alaska is also cheaper per acre, but you got to consider the accessibility, anything that we could have gotten in our price range, we would have had to then buy an airplane or a snowcat to get to and be able to access it year round. Year round access was definitely an issue, even with some of the places we fell in love with in Colorado, mm -hmm. actually, and, and considered making offers on where it was going to be tough. We ended up buying raw land. But I remember there was one place we looked at that was off grid, a house fully built, ready to go, all the amenities. And it was actually in our price range. Mm -hmm. But the reason it wasn't selling, even in this market at that low and affordable price was because you couldn't access it year round. It was behind locked gates. Uh, the, the Forest Service locks the gates. And so we were looking at, I think it would, would have been like a 20 mile snowmobile ride in well, to access the property it wasn't even that is it, it you had to cross national forest just to get to the land and that portion of national forest during the winter time is closed to all motorized access so mm -hmm. we couldn't have even used snow machines or a snowcat we we could not have legally used a motorized vehicle to access our property during the winter time and that would not really work for us no it wouldn't so. we would have been either stranded on our property for at least six months or not been able to go to our property for six months. Right. Which is a bummer because it was a really nice house, but, <laughs> and going back to Alaska. So I've still, <laughs> I still pull up the property every now and then because it's still available, but it was 
like a hundred acres. It was one of the last legal homesteads in Alaska or it something. Was, it's two hundred acres. Okay. And it was the last deeded homestead piece of property in Alaska. If people think back to the days when you could just move out to Alaska and say, I claim this land. It was it was all two hundred acre parcel pieces, I if I if I remember correctly. Um, and there was only so many of them. And then this was the last one. And since this one was deeded and homesteaded, then um, there's no more free land in Alaska. Everybody, right. it's they think there, people think there is, but if you really do your homework, you're not going to find free land unless it's somebody that already owns it and gives it to you and you don't have to pay for it. But that's probably not likely. If you have land in Alaska that you would like to give away, please reach out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we need a summer home now. Sure. For all our free time for vacationing. Um, but we still look at it every once in a while. So it's it's pretty cool. I'll, uh, I'll have to throw the Zillow listing into the show notes for you guys because that's a really neat piece of land. Hey, and if somebody buys it, we should we should get a percentage like a... Uh, a timeshare? Well, either that or we should get a, uh, a finder's fee. I, mean, that- I, I would love a timeshare if we can just come visit you for like a week in the summer. and Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Alaska we ruled out for a couple reasons. Accessibility being one. Also, <laughs> we'll talk about utilities and things like that later with being off grid. But internet wasn't going to be available for us there um, by the time we were planning to move. So that was also, unfortunately, a factor. So we did actually, we went out to Colorado in May mm-hmm. and we looked at quite a few pieces of property. We really fell in love with one that unfortunately we made an offer on and the offer was pretty much laughed at, even though it was a really good <laughs> offer. <laughs> well, so we, in, in 48 hours in a vehicle, we went from the Northwest corner of Colorado to the Southeast corner of Colorado, looking at properties and then had to like we we looked at a last our last piece of property and had to go as fast as we could to get back north up to Denver to catch our flight. So we really hit it hard and we saw almost a dozen properties, something like that. Yeah, it was a lot. And it was um yeah, it was it was a busy busy weekend, but it was it good. It was very busy. And that property that we really liked that we 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 drove out to it, it was we left Uray, Colorado. Um, about mm-hmm. eight, nine o'clock at night, drove straight through, and it was basically due east, right over the Rockies on the other side. We got there at about like 2 a.m. in the morning, and we we're pretty sure we were, we were on the property. So we parked and we just kicked the seats back and we slept in the truck. And then when the sun came up, we woke up and we started walking around, and we were right there where we thought we were. And one of the neighbors had seen us and came down on his side by side and we looked at the property, but the, the, the frustrating thing about it was it was beautiful and we Mm -hmm. still made an offer on it, but the listing had some blatant false information. I'm going to say it was a lie. They, the listing on Zillow and on, on the MLS listing, it says clearly that there is a year round Creek and that's not true. Mm-hmm. And the photos that they even posted were two miles away from where the property was even at, from the property line. It wasn't, it was really frustrating. So we made an offer that we felt was very fair considering the false information, the lies, but we still loved the property. It still really spoke to us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they, they rejected it. They laughed at, laughed us out of the, the, the office, but um, you know, their loss. 
Yeah. And everything works out how it's supposed to. So it that's has, okay. Because the property we have is, is just great. as beautiful and actually much more usable. That property, yeah. probably only about a third of that property was going to be functional for us to use for farming. And we were going to really have to do a lot of ex- excavating and terracing yeah, of it was very the landscape. Steep. Um, on, it was it's it was settled settled in a, saddled in a valley, and with steep mountains up each side. So we would only have been able to use the valley portion of it and still have to excavate a lot to put in our gardens and our buildings and stuff. It was definitely going to be difficult in hindsight, but we had I think we'd kind of fallen in love with it before we even got there, and then it felt kind of magical to go to sleep and wake up and watch the sunrise there and walk around, and we definitely. Or I definitely fell in love with it. And, Absolutely. And was bummed yeah. that it didn't work out. But I mean, I'm, try and picture, if you're listening to this, try and picture you, you drive into an area that has no light sources coming from the city or uh, other dwellings. So it's, it's pitch black. It was overcast. So we didn't even have starlight to really see. And then you wake up in the morning and... And the sun is coming over the mountain to the east. And it, it was just, I mean, we, we still have pictures. Of it. I still have pictures of it I on my too. phone. Yeah. It was so magical and beautiful. And as we're walking around and looking at the property, we're seeing bighorn sheep. We're seeing um, all kinds of, of amazing, beautiful rock formations and wildlife. And it was just, it was amazing. It was. It was really beautiful. And the road dead ended into... National Forest, the back side of the piece of property we were looking at also backed up to uh, BLM land as well. So I think that was a factor too, as we looked at pieces of land was also, you know, what was that land connected to? Mm-hmm. Um, how much other land, um, national land or public land would we have access to by being there? And so that was a big factor, especially if we looked at smaller pieces of land. So like that piece of land was only uh, about 13 acres but it backed up to so much other land that we would have access to. And it still felt really remote and secluded that even if people you know, built on the adjoining parcels, we weren't going to feel hemmed in basically. Yeah. We went from there. So that was the one we made an offer on. It was a bummer that didn't work out, but that's okay. So we, uh, you know, being on Zillow is almost like a part-time hobby job, whatever for me. So we kept looking for pieces of land, constantly emailing stuff back and forth or texting listings to each other. Our agent or realtor also found a piece for us out in Fair Play that we really liked. We hadn't seen it at this point, but we decided to make an offer on it. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty cool piece of property as well. But then, even though we'd been pre-approved for a loan, we couldn't get financing for this one um, because the person who currently owned it had put basically a shipping container on it that he was just had bunk beds in and was using as like a hunting camp for, for folks to sleep in. So because it was not completely raw land, we couldn't qualify for a land loan. I spent like two days on the phone with like every bank in Colorado that I could trying to find someone that was willing to work with us. And by that point, they decided to go ahead and accept another offer before I could even figure out financing. So that's definitely, if you're looking into homesteading or moving off grid, like something just to be aware of is that if there is any structure on the land, it can be really difficult to get a bank to finance you, which is not something we knew of beforehand. Right. Well, and let's be more, a little bit more specific. So the, the bank is concerned with structures that are being utilized as a dwelling or a sleeping quarters, even if the structure isn't permanently attached for in this, in this case, it was a, a Connex 
shipping container, so it could have been easily picked up and moved. We could have tried to negotiate to have the container removed prior to closing, but even still, the banks didn't even want to deal with that. They they pretty much just were absolutely no in every situation. And you spoke to like 20 different banks. Yeah, I spent two solid days just calling anyone and everyone. Yeah, and it's interesting that they do that and what we found out is the 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 reason is is because of the risk of default if if you have a movable dwelling on it then you if you come to a point to where you're going to default on the land you could just take the dwelling and leave and they're stuck with this raw land uh, that they have to try and recoup some of uh, their money on the other issue is permit and building codes so a a mini home that was put together without meeting international building code requirements is a liability then if it catches on fire somebody dies or the place burns down and then if it burns down and you decide to give up and vacate the land again they're stuck with it so those were the two main reasons why the banks won't touch it yep so that was kind of a bummer also that that fell through and then Our realtor, he was also pretty bummed for us, I think, too, because we've kind of been going around back and forth now. So he started sending us, you know, other listings. And he actually sent us the listing again for the piece of land we're on now that we ended up buying. It's one that I had seen the Zillow listing for a while ago because it had been on the market for a good while, I think about half a year. Mm -hmm. And I had eliminated it from our list outright because it said in the listing that there was an HOA which was something I adamantly did not want. But it was actually really hard to find anything that didn't have any sort of covenants or HOA, even when we were looking at larger pieces of property, which I thought was, and still think is pretty absurd. (laughs) That, you know, so we ended up buying a piece of land. It's almost 42 acres, but we have an HOA, which I think is kind of nuts. Well, I mean, (laughs) there's there's pros and cons. There's, There's benefits and there's disadvantages to it. So, and we could talk about those. And, yeah. No, I definitely want to talk share about that. that or, for sure. uh, or we can make that another episode. It's up to you. But, but there are pros and cons to having an HOA. It just depends on your particular lifestyle and how you want to live. Yeah. And for us, knowing that we want to live off grid, that we want to farm and homestead and kind of do things a bit unconventionally, you know, we want to build an earthship for our home eventually here on the land. We knew that kind of probably wouldn't mesh with most HOAs. Um, When we were out here in Colorado in May, there was a listing that our realtor stopped us. We didn't even go look at because he finally got a copy of the covenants. And even though it was a huge piece of land out in rural Colorado, they had all these rules in the covenant against pretty much everything we would want to do with our life. So like rules against like what kind of livestock you can have whether you know you can hunt which is something important to mike the color of the house yeah type of siding all that stuff and you know i can understand to a certain extent if you're living you know we used to live in tennessee if you're living in downtown nashville and you're on 0.15 acres and your neighbor is you know an arm span away from you that sure what you do can impact your neighbor so maybe some rules are good and helpful to protect everyone and keep everyone happy but if we're buying 40 acres of land um you know, what I do really isn't going to impact my neighbor. Um, or if, if it is, then they probably just need to look in a different direction. Again, there's, there's, there's positives and negatives or benefits and, and disadvantages to it. Mm -hmm. So I will say this piece of land that we ended up 
buying. Um, one of the things that it had going for it was that when our realtor encouraged us to look at at the listing again and, and consider it, he got us a copy of the covenants and looking over it, it seemed like most of the most of the rules in place were about land use and hopefully keeping as much of the land or the ranch wild as possible. And so that was something that for us, we were like, okay, that seems good. We really agree with that in principle. And there weren't all the rules in there. Like we just mentioned about some of the other properties against, you know, things like hunting or livestock or what color your house can be. Well, there are some considerations in there, but nothing over the top. Yeah. It seemed pretty fair. And, and it also had a, the way it was the wording and structure and some of the, the, we got, you had actually found a copy of their, the annual meeting minutes and reading the minutes, they talked about community work days where all the landowners got together in a certain area and they all worked together to fix part of the roads or, um, water runoff ditches or repair pond dams and things like that and we thought that's great because we believe in community we believe in our neighbors knowing who we are and and being able to reach out to us and say hey we need help with this or that and vice versa so we like that definitely and i've talked in previous episodes about how a lot of us with homesteading we have this thing in mind about self-sufficiency and it is one thing to try to provide as much for yourself as you can but it's also not a solitary act. And so having community, especially as we think about this is going to be our forever home. So eventually we're going to be 70, 80, hopefully 90 years old living here. I don't want to live to 90. That's too old. (laughs) Well, I probably won't let you. So well, and technology is probably going to make it a lot easier. (laughs) So, Um, but yeah, so we really just forward thinking, wanting to have, wanting to be good neighbors and have good neighbors. And so the idea that the folks here in the ranch did community work days and were in touch with each other. That really appealed to us. So we actually made an offer on this piece of land, sight unseen. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'd i been in this area, like, like we had mentioned before, I'd lived in Western Colorado for 20 plus years. And I, I'm very much into mountaineering and backcountry skiing and ice climbing and rock climbing and, and hunting and that kind of stuff. So I'm very familiar with the area and... Although I had not seen this land or been on this land, I knew the area very well around it. So I felt pretty confident. Yeah. And luckily with good technology, we were able to pull up things like Google Maps or even um, an app Mike uses called Onyx Hunt to look at terrain changes. Because especially after some of the things we looked at in May, we knew like how steep the land was needed to be a factor. So this being mountainy, but it's kind of a more gentle slope. We don't have to do nearly as much excavation as we would if we had actually gotten that first piece of land we made oh, an yeah. offer on. So that was something to consider. We also just thinking about the future, you know, thinking about, well, how close is this to a town for us to have, you know, vending at a farmer's market for Fox and Elder, opening a tattoo studio for, you know, Mike and I later at some point, which we'll get to all that in future episodes <laughs> yeah. because we're a little bit put in the cart before the horse that that studio is already open <laughs> and has been open for almost a month now. So we're just hitting the ground running. But yeah, so in, and also amazingly enough, this piece of land was incredibly affordable, like almost half the price of other things we've been looking at that had similar acreage. And that, you know, <laughs> I'm, pl- I'm pretty frugal. And thinking about 
being, you know, when I can quit my day job. Um, I work remotely also as a data analyst in addition to Fox and Elder. So thinking about that price point, you know, really kind of tipped the scales for us. And then also it was a large piece of land, but the ranch itself is about 5,000 acres. And one of the parts of the covenant that we liked was that there is reciprocity amongst landowners. So um, we all can use and, and hike and use each other's land. And it also still backs up to um, a national forest as well. So, well, so I, I don't want to give people um, a false impression or misrepresentation. So um, yes. So all the landowners within the ranch, which is roughly 5,000 acres do have reciprocity, but it's not blanket you can do whatever you want so we can't right. put our yeah. gardens we can't run uh free free range or graze <laughs> our no. our animals on their property what it is is it's reciprocity for outdoor recreation right so hiking foraging hunting you know but you can't run your side by side across our property you can't run your dirt bike you can't run your snowmobile you can't you know do those kind of things and they have in, in the covenants that we can only fence out five acres of of our property. So so each property is about 40 to 45 acres, the lot size, and you're only allowed to fence out five acres. So when we say fence out, meaning we can only put up livestock fences that prevent natural migration of wildlife from crossing only that's five acres max. And and for the, us, that wasn't a problem because we're not going to have 200 head of cattle or even 20 head of cattle. We're not going to have a hundred sheep. So it wasn't really a negative for us, but it could be for somebody else. Yeah. For and, us, we liked it though, because it means the majority of the land is going to be kept undeveloped. And right. that, that was definitely a plus. <clears throat> and then Mike mentioned fencing out. So folks back east might be kind of surprised by this, but there's a difference between fence in and fence out states. So for mm -hmm. instance, the ranch has a cattle lease that there's a, a nearby ranch or farm that I think from May to June, we'll see cattle just roaming all over the ranch here. So Colorado is a fence out state. So if you don't want cows or whatever to come on your land, you're responsible for for putting that fencing up. Right, for preventing that. Right, which like back east, that's the opposite of how it is. Mm -hmm. um, but that cattle lease actually is part of what keeps our property taxes so low. I think our taxes are like under $100 a year on our land right now, which that will go up once we right. you know build things and put structures here. Well, But it also gives us benefits like our, our shop building that we were going to build. Um, we could opt to do an agricultural building permit for mm -hmm. that. And that's a a flat fee, $25 building permit fee, no inspections, no engineer drawings, no building code requirements. Um, that's some of the advantages to that. And since we're zoned agricultural and we have that cattle lease that only runs for a max of 60 days out of the year, it lowers our overall property taxes and gives us the option to do an ag building instead of doing a detached uh, freestanding shop building that then the permit would be based on the total square footage. We'd have to have engineered uh, foundation, engineered framing, engineered trusses and all that stuff, which again, pros and cons, there are benefits and there are, and there are disadvantages to both options. And I'm not saying which one is better or not. It really depends on your individual wants and needs. 
Um, for us, we have an open window to choose either one based on our benefit of what we need out of that building, as opposed to if it wasn't zoned agriculture and we didn't have that catalyst, we would be basically forced into going with the of uh, the 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 building permit option, which would cost us, you know anywhere from 500 to $750 for the building permit, plus the cost of an engineered foundation and building and all that stuff, you know, we'd, we'd be, you know, probably two to $3,000 before we even started building. So again, not saying that that's good or bad, just saying those are some of the options, some of the benefits and some of the, the negatives to it. Yeah, it was definitely good to find out and getting out here, I was a little nervous. You were more familiar with kind of what the terrain here was going to look like because Mm -hmm. you've lived in Western Colorado for so long. I had an idea in my head of kind of what I wanted in terms of trees and water access and things like that in terms of my ideal piece of property. And the one we first made an offer on when we visited in May was like much closer to what I envisioned. And I was really worried we were going to get out here and it was going to be just kind of flat you know, one foot high sagebrush <laughs> everywhere, which yeah. is really not what I wanted. And we looked at some properties like that and I was like, no, I like the property a lot better than I thought I would. I was very nervous about getting out here the first time. Well, yeah, because I, I remember our conversation really well that you were looking at Google satellite images and you were like, it's just, there's not a lot of trees on the property. And I, and I, and I was trying to explain to you and then trying to find elevation photos basically a photo from your visual perspective if you're standing on the property of what this brush really looks like and from the google satellite image it looks like it's just sagebrush but we have primarily uh pinion juniper and oak brush on our property and that stuff grows uh you know at fully mature 12 to 15 feet tall but it doesn't grow like a evergreen grows or an aspen grows where you have a main trunk that grows up and the branches branch out so it looks brushy like sagebrush from a satellite image yeah and it's still not really my ideal terrain but like one of the things i like is that as we go further up the mountain you know just up the road from us there is an aspen grove and we're gonna move seedlings down the next property to the east of us so the very next property next to us is where the aspen line starts right and the the evergreens start yeah so there actually is a lot of variety in terms of terrain here and so that makes me pretty happy and just knowing we're close to like everything else Mm -hmm. as well in terms of different types of terrain for us to go hiking and and camping and everything else so overall i'm i'm pretty happy with like the land piece of land we ended up with what about you i'm very happy i think uh, not pretty i i'm shocked to say that to hear you say that you're pretty happy with it i'm ecstatic i love it (laughs) this is i love it yeah i mean i'm really happy i i feel like we've been so busy just nonstop since we got here that i feel like i haven't had much of a chance to really connect with the land and so i'm really excited for spring and getting our first gardens in and (laughs) i'll admit here we haven't even actually like walked every bit of our land yet because winter came on so fast and so we've walked we've seen two of the corner markers but not the other two so far (laughs) we've walked more of our neighbor's land just getting (laughs) to our land because we had we had a snowstorm hit two weeks ago that left us walking two miles a night for three nights in a row just to get to our, our place. Through two feet of snow. It sounds like that adage from when you're a kid about, you know, back when I had to go to school, I had to walk uphill 
both ways. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> but we did that life for real. Yeah, three nights in a row. So we've actually walked more of the other property or the main road um, <laughs> to the property. Yeah. Uh, but we, we did find, uh, we did get out after mm-hmm. the first snow. It was only, well, I mean, it was about a foot, a uh, foot and a half, depending on where you were at. But yep. we walked to the northwest corner and property pin. And we flagged it along the way mm-hmm. and with surveyor's tape, surveyor's ribbon, because the idea is that we want to cut a three or four foot wide footpath from corner to corner to corner. So we can easily walk to the corner and we can see down the property line. And mainly that's for us to, for, to keep track of our animals and stuff like that. If, if any get out. Uh, which hopefully they never will, but but you got to prepare for worst case scenario. We want to be able to look down the property line and see the our, our our pigs, you know, making a break for the neighbor's yard or something. Because they will, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you've got a garden and scraps out there. Um, and then we also walked or hiked to the northeast corner. That was a little bit more difficult. There was more snow that day. Oh yeah. And of course, you were wearing blue jeans. Yep. So. Uh... <laughs> Mike has winter clothes because he's lived out here before. Uh, Tennessee never got super cold. So, yeah, I'm not very equipped for this winter. And we've definitely, yeah, we're going to work on that by next year. I tried getting you to wear some of my winter pants. (laughs) But then you wouldn't because you said it'd be weird that you were in my pants once. I don't don't know. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll be better geared up by next year. So, but yeah, so I think we're both really happy with the land that we got. And it's just going to keep getting better where we've definitely been overcoming a lot of challenges with being off grid, which we'll get into in future episodes. But I think this is probably a good spot to wrap it up for tonight and just talking about the process for what we were looking for, things to consider, kind of issues we ran into, which, you know, hopefully if if you're in a similar boat, this will give you some stuff to think about in terms of conversations to have with your realtor or your lender ahead of like financing and, and things like that. But yeah, in future episodes, we can get into what it took to actually get moved from Tennessee to Colorado, um, what it was like trying to move and pack up a farm and a house and animals and transport them, which was its own special adventure, trying to move some (laughs) pigs (laughs) across the country as well as dogs. And, you know, you can probably guess I have a couple plants, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad that we finally got you on the podcast because people have definitely heard a lot about you and we'll do more episodes soon, hopefully. Thank you. And I'm excited. Yay. It's been fun. <laughs>